first yeah. day. Give us the work, then they throw us in jail. Hey. Road trip, yeah, I'm trafficking the white. EFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's going on, TJ? Uh, what's up, Chris? Just uh, coming off of a nice, profitable week three. Uh, one of those weeks that uh, kind of reminds everybody. I, I talked about this a little bit in, in my write-ups last week that when those lineups are ugly, it tends to favor uh, skill players just because you really have to find proper value. So it didn't feel great, especially through the early games. But then uh, once you look at everybody else's score and realize that scores are overall were pretty low, at least after the first couple of slates, uh turned out to be a pretty good week absolutely it was a really fun week all the way around a lot of unexpected things happening and a lot of ways for us people who put a lot of time into dfs to capitalize because um there there were just a lot of things that happened that people didn't expect or weren't prepared for but before we get into the week four slate we got a lot to talk about our dfs theory segment will be on small slates um want to talk about the music that played us in that was soul survivor by young jeezy featuring akon of jeezy's 2005 album let's get it thug motivation 101 and just another great song you could bump while making lineups classic song that i remember from my youth days so hope you enjoyed that and want to remind you guys that if you rate and review dfs mvp on itunes and send a screenshot to dfs mvp at 444.com you can get 25 percent off a 444 dfs subscription so make sure to do that thank you to all you guys who have been rating and reviewing and sending in the screenshots hope you're enjoying your 444 dfs sub let's get right into the week four plays tj who you got at quarterback quarterback uh, at quarterback this week, I like Trevor Simeon uh, against the Raiders. He's $7,500 on FanDuel, $5,200 on DraftKings. Uh, Oakland ranks 30th in quarterback adjusted fantasy points allowed. And uh, we just started updating AFPA at 4 for 4. That's basically a metric that takes fantasy points and adjusts it for strength of schedule. So uh, once week three is over, we start updating that. And that number becomes stronger throughout the season. So excited to see uh, that number uh, up at 4 for 4. Denver favored by three points at home with an implied point total over over 24 points and uh, if we just look at uh, the passing numbers not overall fantasy points Oakland has allowed the fourth most fantasy points per pass attempt to oppo- opposing quarterbacks uh, fifth most yards per attempt and the sixth highest completion percentage so quarterbacks have been very efficient against the Raiders we saw that last week against Kirk Cousins and also offensive uh, the defensive line outside of uh, Khalil Mack Oakland really hasn't been able to get after the passer they rank in the bottom 10 in football outsiders adjusted sack rate which is just a number that looks at uh, the overall uh, value of offensive and defensive lines and then we just look at four four projections we see that Simeon has a top three overall and ceiling value on DraftKings so he's especially good uh, over on DK this week definitely like the call Simeon's been playing well I don't think you can knock him too much for struggling up in Buffalo 
in a tough matchup last week. And speaking of Buffalo, the quarterback I like this week is Tyrod Taylor. He's only 7,100 on FanDuel, 5,300 on DraftKings. And he's going on the road against the Atlanta Falcons. But despite being a road underdog, I think this is a good spot for Tyrod to produce, especially given his salary. The Falcons have been one of the higher scoring teams in the league. And, you know, they've put up 30 points two weeks in a row, 23 in week one on the road. And because of that, quarterbacks have had to throw a lot. Uh, Mike Glennon threw 40 times in week one against the Falcons. Then Aaron Rodgers threw 50 times in week two. And Matthew Stafford had 45 attempts last week against Atlanta. That's an average of 45 attempts per game that the Falcons are giving up. And that's significant for Tyrod because while we're always looking for that efficiency, Tyrod is one of those few passers that doesn't always get enough volume. And when he, when he gets 30 or more attempts in his career, he's actually averaged uh, 77 more passing yards per game, 257 yards versus 180 when he under 30 attempts. He's been under 30 attempts in all three games so far this season. I think this will be the game where he finally cracks that mark and potentially goes way over it. He is number three in our odds projected probability to hit cash game value on DraftKings, and he's number four in projected odds to hit cash game value on FanDuel. And he did go 20 of 26 last week against a tough Denver defense, two touchdowns, and he always adds a rushing floor to the equation that gives him a floor and some upside. He's had eight rushing attempts in every game. Of course, you're always concerned with him because he's not, he doesn't have Sammy Watkins at his disposal this year, but he's weathered the storm pretty well thus far, had some pretty solid performances, and I think with the added volume, that could really uptick. One thing that's helping Tyrod get over the loss of Sammy Watkins is that they're putting the ball in LaShawn McCoy's hands more uh, on short throws. Tyrod is 18 of 20 for 131 yards to McCoy. That's six completions a game to Shady. So you put Shady, um, put the ball in Shady's hands and that just adds to Taylor's upside. McCoy averages 1.5 yards um, per, per carry more indoors. I'm not sure the exact uh, numbers for receptions. I don't have it in front of me, but fast players like McCoy tend to do better indoors. So I, I think this is a really good spot for Tyrod in uh, week four. Running back. Yeah, I like Tyrod too. He's he's one of those pastors that, that's always pretty efficient. Uh, but like you said, that volume should go up. And, and it's one of those rare spots where I actually like a, a couple pieces on this offense, despite uh, the Bills being a, a pretty big underdog. But uh, moving on to running back, the, the guy that I like this week is Leonard Fournette. He's $7,700 on FanDuel and $6,700 on DraftKings. Jacksonville is a three and a half point favorite over a Jets defense that we have ranked last in uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. And if you just kind of look at the raw numbers, we do see that uh, Fournette's workload went down quite a bit from week one, but I'm, I'm not too concerned with that, especially looking at, at last week's game. Jacksonville was blowing out Baltimore, and um, Chris Ivory and Corey Grant got most of their work in the second half when Jacksonville uh, was way ahead. And then if we just look at the evolution of this Jacksonville, 
the offense kind of as as we predicted going into the season. They've shifted completely to a run-first team. Uh, If we look at at neutral game script or uh, spots where the game's within seven points either way where we shouldn't expect game script to affect play calling, Jacksonville's been the most run-heavy team in the league. They've they've only passed 44% of the time, and only one other team is below 50% pass rate this year uh, the league average in neutral situations around 57 percent so uh, not only is Jacksonville run heavy but way more than any other team in the league right now so that obviously uh, sets up really well for Fournette in a game where they are favored uh, he is a top three value on both sites whether you look at uh, overall or ceiling projections and then one metric that I always kind of look at on my own is dollars per projected touch and Leonard Fournette is projected to see the most touches on 4 for 4 of any running back, which makes him a top $5 per touch candidate. He's the only running back uh, above $7,000 on FanDuel or above $5,000 on DraftKings that cracks the top five in, in dollar per touch just because that's something that's that's usually reserved for uh, those cheaper running backs that are just kind of thrust into starting role. But uh, just enough discount where Fournette's going to see a really big workload at uh, a decent enough price to make him a really good dollar per touch value there. And if you want to pay up a little more, I really like Ezekiel Elliott this week. He is a six-point home favorite against the Los Angeles Rams, and I smell a big game coming for Zeke. He had five multi-touchdown games in his last 11 to close out the year last season, and the Rams have already allowed five rushing touchdowns to running backs. They've allowed at least one in each game, and they've allowed multi-touchdown games to running backs in each of their last two games. They're allowing 133 rushing yards per game to opposing running backs and 4.4 yards per carry to opposing running backs. So this is a defense that has had some trouble stopping the run, has had some trouble keeping opposing running backs out of the end zone. And the Dallas offensive line is probably one of the few in the league that can handle Aaron Donald, the stud defensive lineman for the Rams to some degree. So I don't think Donald will cause the Dallas offense to get off schedule. I think they'll be able to feed Zeke a lot in this game. And this is exactly what you want with him home favorite against a a run defense that is giving up a ton of production to opposing running backs. Let's get into the uh, wide receivers now, TJ, who are you looking at? Wide receiver. Yeah, starting on uh, FanDuel, like we did last week, we're going to be giving uh, one FanDuel and one DraftKings wide receiver each. And Larry Fitzgerald is still a pretty good value on FanDuel. He's only $6,700 over there. Uh, He's fourth in targets per game right now, uh, top 10 in target share. And something that we talked about as soon as David Johnson got hurt is Fitz could really see a huge workload inside the red zone. He's always been a pretty integral part of their offense near the goal line, but uh, really seeing that number shoot up 30% of red zone targets uh, with the most red zone targets in the league. So uh, a lot of volume there. They're going to be playing the 49ers who rank 26th in wide receiver AFPA and the slot cornerback Quan Williams, who Fitzgerald is going to be lined up on is, is pretty much the weakest leak in the secondary if we look at uh, fantasy points per target or numbers like uh, target rate. Um, he, and, he and Carson Palmer are 
both early season uh, red zone expected value regression candidates. That's a number that I do a a big study on each offseason, but also kind of keep track throughout the season. And basically, it just gives us uh, tangible data on where red zone targets and, and passes are coming from. So instead of just lumping them all together, we know where the yard line's coming from, the expected value. And uh, Palmer actually leads the league in red zone attempts, but has just two red zone touchdowns. So obviously, if, if that number comes uh, back to uh, normalcy a little bit, his main red zone target, Larry Fitzgerald, stands to benefit in a game where uh, Cardinals should put up a pretty nice number against San Francisco. And then moving over to DraftKings, Rashard Matthews is only $4,900 uh, for the Titans. Without Corey Davis last week, Matthews saw double-digit targets and accounted for a third of the Titans' targets, posting a six-catch, 87-yard, one-touchdown line against a a really good Seattle defense. And in that game... um, to my chagrin, Eric, Dar- Eric Decker's target share actually went down. So a lot of those targets that were getting spread out got allocated to Matthews. We've seen him do really well in the past with uh, Marcus Mariota. Last year, he was a top 12 wide receiver. And now Delaney Walker is questionable with a hamstring injury. Uh, it, it does look like Walker is going to play, but uh, those lower leg injuries we've seen hobble pass catchers before. So even if Walker is on the field could be a little bit limited and then speaking of injuries they're facing a Houston defense that has a banged up secondary Um, they can put Rashard Matthews on either side now with Corey Davis out so even if Jonathan Joseph uh, does suit up he can avoid Joseph and I believe Houston is going to be starting a cornerback that uh, is they pretty much signed off the streets last week. John, uh, yeah, Jonathan so, Banks. Jonathan yes, Banks. Yes, there it is, Jonathan Banks. So. Yep, so they got uh, kind of a, a Patrick secondary right now, and, and I like Matthews in that matchup. Great calls there. I'm going to go with Emmanuel Sanders on FanDuel. He is 6,900, and he is very well-suited for FanDuel because on FanDuel at wide receiver, you're really looking for those deep targets and those red zone targets because just piling up receptions alone won't necessarily do it because it's only half-point PPR. So you need those those chunk gains that, that hopefully turn into touchdowns. And Sanders and Demarius Thomas are both the same price, but Sanders has the edge in total targets this season, 29 to 25. He has the edge in red zone targets over Thomas, 4 to 1. And he has the edge in targets 16 yards or more downfield, 7 to 6 over DT. So Sanders getting a little more of the higher higher upside targets in that passing game. He's actually tied for fifth in the league in targets at 9.7 per game. Very quietly, Emmanuel Sanders gets to take on this Raiders secondary at home. You're probably going to see a little more of rookie Gary and Conley. David Amerson's uh, been giving up some production as well. So this is definitely a secondary that the Broncos should be able to exploit, especially if Trevor Simeon goes back to playing as well as he did in the first two weeks of the season. And then on DraftKings, I like Keenan Allen at 7,200. He's tied with Emmanuel Sanders for fifth in targets per game at 9.7. He's seen at least nine targets in each game so far. And this matchup really sets up well against the Philadelphia Eagles for Keenan Allen because 
the Eagles, they've been suffering through a rash of injuries in their secondaries, but they have a pretty strong defense aside from that. So what they, how they played the Giants last week was they tried to keep everything underneath and it worked for three quarters. Uh, and they had some turnovers that led to some Odell Beckham touchdowns and the one broken play that Sterling Shepard took a slant to the house on a bad angle by the safety. But Keenan Allen, they should be, they should be okay with letting him just catch a bunch of balls uh, short again this week. And that's exactly the Chargers MO. And I think the Eagles can actually go into LA and put up some points on this Charger defense as well. So I think you're going to have a chance at a situation where the Chargers are trying to come back late in the game and Allen could just start racking up even more receptions and on DraftKings with that full PPR he's always a threat for double digit receptions and 100 yards and that bonus and he's one of those guys that on DraftKings he can get you really good value even enough for tournaments sometimes without even scoring a touchdown you know it's going dating back to 2015 he's a, he's had uh, a bunch of games of five games with nine or more catches. He's had three double-digit catch games. He had a nine-catch game two games ago. So I think Allen has humongous upside. And promisingly, he's actually accounted for 40% of the team's targets inside the 10-yard line. Uh, customarily, the San Diego would use running backs and tight ends a lot more than wide receivers. But at least so far in the small sample we've seen to date in 2017, Allen is getting his share of work inside the 10-yard the line and scoring position. He has a t- He had a touchdown against Denver, which is a tough team to score a touchdown against. So like Keenan Allen a lot in week four against the Philadelphia Eagles. TJ, who you got at the tight end position? Tight end. Yeah, uh, tight end is, is kind of interesting because uh, maybe this happens every year and I just haven't noticed it, but uh, we really see pricing it at two extremes right now. There, There's a few uh, really good tight ends. And then there's kind of a no man's land in the middle of tight end pricing. So it's basically, you're going to end up paying all the way up for like the Ertz, the Kelsey's or, or the Gronks of the world, which is always tough to do in cash games. Uh, or you just go all the way down and, and look for, uh, not even just a value tight end, kind of like a punt tight end. And Charles Clay's been one of the more active tight ends in his offenses this year. He's priced at 5,300 on FanDuel, $3,700 on DraftKings. Only two tight ends have seen a higher percentage of team targets than Clay, but uh, because the Bills are run first team, we talked about this with with Tyrod. There's uh, kind of a, a big range of outcomes. Clay ranks just tenth at his position in targets, so really high percentage of team targets, not so high overall targets, and then uh, that trend continues on into the red zone he's accounted for half of buffalo's red zone targets but the bills have the second highest run rate inside the 20 so given that wide range of outcomes he actually is a a top projected ceiling value over on DraftKings. and then the uh the bills just have a uh, oddly concentrated passing offense right now it's pretty much been clay or shady and no one else is seen over 15 percent of the targets uh zay jones and uh jordan matthews have been a little bit uh, of an afterthought so you mentioned that the bills are probably going to be throwing quite a bit uh clay's been tyrod's favorite target and tyrod's generally pretty efficient so i think clay's in a pretty good spot against atlanta this week most definitely I'm going to go even a little further down into that punt value range and go with Austin Safarian Jenkins, the New York Jets tight end, just came off a suspension last week 
4,800 on FanDuel and 3,000 on DraftKings. Safarian Jenkins tied for the team lead last week with six targets, and that might not seem like much, but it was actually a 26% share of the team targets. And I actually think that could go up this week because the Jets are going to face Jacksonville, and Jacksonville's cornerbacks, Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye, are playing at a very high level. And what they do essentially is they will man up on the opponent's two top receivers and, and take them away essentially and, fu- and that funnels targets to pretty much everywhere else and I think Austin Safarian Jenkins being that he came off that team lead six targets and he tied for the team lead with six targets in his first game we knew he was making a lot of noise in the preseason there was some thought even in the preseason that he could be the team's leader in targets uh, over the whole season so I uh, this week, you know, Jacksonville already allowed uh, touchdowns to tight ends in back-to-backs, back-to-back weeks. I think Safarian Jenkins is a really sneaky uh, play, and he has some upside just due to the fact that he could lead the team and tar- lead his team, excuse me, in targets, and the fact that he this guy is a former second-round pick, very athletic guy, never really put it together in Tampa Bay, gotten bad with the coaching staff, but seems to be doing very well with the Jets. Uh, heard nothing but pretty much rave reviews all the all of the preseason, and even after Todd Bowles kind of said, "Hey, I don't know if this guy's in shape yet um, to be playing a lot." Last week, he ended up. Again, catching five balls, getting six targets. So I think you, you could see Safari and Jenkins be a big part of the Jets game plan this week against Jacksonville. Kicker. Yeah, I, I like that call a lot. Um, moving on to kicker. On FanDuel, Blair Walsh is 4,800. We always want to target a kicker that is a favorite just because that means they're most likely not going to be deemed unusable where a team might not uh, kick field goals towards the end of the game if they're uh, behind. But I don't think we're going to have that problem with Seattle. They're the biggest favorite of the week, favored by 13.5 points at home with an implied total just below uh, 28 points against the Colts. Uh, Seahawks got that offense going uh, finally last week uh, against Tennessee, and Indy's a, a similarly uh, bad defense. We saw the Browns uh, have quite a bit of success against Indy, and then I, I don't think weather should be a concern. It looks like there is only going to be a, a light drizzle up in Seattle, but as of now, no heavy rain in the forecast and no wind, which always uh, is the factor. Rain isn't that big of a deal, but it uh, looks like it should be decent enough for Walsh to be a at least a safe option for kickers this week at defense i got the cincinnati bengals on the road as favorites against cleveland and one thing i found in the offseason in my uh, dfs playbook how to pick a defense special teams uh, article that i published earlier you can find it on 444.com is that road favorites actually had a slight advantage over home favorites in terms of defense special teams and so that that sets up perfectly for the bengals cleveland has coughed up a league leading nine turnovers that's three per game they've they're tied for fourth in terms of the most sacks taken with 11 Deshaun Kaiser he has a lot of talent and you could kind of see that once he starts thinking faster he's probably going to be a pretty good NFL quarterback but right now things are just a little slow for him and even though he's making some some nice throws and scoring some fantasy points and making some nice runs he's also very very generous to opposing defense special teams 
So uh, the Bengals probably the top option on the slate against the Browns. Uh, Cincinnati had six sacks of Aaron Rodgers and Lambeau last week came out of nowhere. Uh, Carl Lawson just dominating. And again, you know, this Cleveland offensive line, pretty good, but Deshaun Kaiser liable to take a, a lot of sacks. So Bengals this week on FanDuel and DraftKings, both pretty, pretty affordable, especially on FanDuel where they're only 4,600. But fantasy football fans, listen up. It's not too late to download the highest rated fantasy football app, Draft. Play in a real live snake draft, but be done in under five minutes, and they last for just one week. Drafts start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now for week four. And the best part, play for cold, hard cash. And get this, your chances of winning are 80% better than on the salary cap sites. All new players get a free entry into a real money draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use the promo code 4 for 4 That's right, play a real money game for free just by using the promo code 4 for 4 That's the number 4, the letters F-O-R. R and the number four, and it gets even better. Draft is so sure you'll love it that they're even offering the DFS MVP podcast listeners a money back guarantee up to $100. Just search draft in your app store or go to draft.com and come play free right now with promo code four for four. Let's get into our DFS theory segment now. On small slates, this is something that we get asked a lot about. I, I know on, on Twitter and, and just in a variety of places. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about it today and just what kind of strategy you use on a small slate and how it differs a little bit from some of the large slates and how it's really become one of my favorite things to play. And one of the types of contests that I think is still one of the more profitable because these small slates a lot of times contain uh, entrants who are either playing just to get just playing recreationally to get some action on primetime games or they're playing maybe a four o'clock slate after their one o'clock lineups didn't do so well so they're just kind of hurriedly throwing together lineups there are not many people that I think that are specifically preparing for small slates and, and doing research and kind of building lineups well ahead of time and thinking about these lineups and tinkering with them the way people are for the larger slate. So I think there's a, a lot of opportunity to be had if you're a listener who hasn't played in these small slates yet. Um, I think I would encourage you to check them out. If you just go to any of the sites, you'll see a variety of small slate options. I know this week you have the, the Thursday to Sunday AM game. There's always the 1 p.m. only, the 4 p.m. only, the, the 4 to 8, the primetime Sunday, Monday, the Monday to Thursday. Just a ton of slates you can play on. And TJ, just tell me, talk a little bit about your approach on small slates and how you use them um, in terms of your overall DFS portfolio. Yeah, so one way I use small slates, I'm not someone that uh, aggressively attacks short slates, but I, I do uh, play them. And a couple of the main reasons is uh, they're a natural diversifier, both in my player pool and in my opponent. So a lot of times you'll see um, you'll see us talking about uh, take something like a cash game where we want diversified opponents in our head-to-head -head matchups, and uh, sometimes there will be. Let's say I'm playing like a like a AM only uh, cash game where there's eight to ten. 
teams playing there. I might have a lot of the same players that I'll have in my main slate in that lineup, but I'm going to face a lot of opponents that I won't face either in a main or a full slate. That's obviously good just for uh, getting a true return on my money, but also what it lets me do is... The way I I play my games is I I try to stick to a uh, relatively conservative bankroll strategy or at least stay within the limits that I've set for myself for uh, overall game management and for something like GPP allocation. But uh, sometimes I'll be playing uh, higher stakes, low entry contests. And if you're doing that, a lot of your favorite plays don't necessarily find it into your lineup. So some of these really great matchups that we talk about on the podcast, maybe they'll end up being like these sub 5% guys. If you're playing something like a a $500 buy-in with less than uh, 100 entries, a lot of times it doesn't make sense to roster those guys even though they are really great plays. So if, you, if you're if you playing those and trying to stay within your bankroll limits, you can use these shorter slates to get access to some of those guys. And a lot of times it's actually optimal. And I, I talked about diversification of my lineups. And again, I'm trying to, whether I'm playing a, a cash game or small GPP or 50-50, I'm trying to play as optimally as possible, whether it be multiple lineups or just uh, optimal single lineup. So I'm not necessarily a person that's going to force diversification within my cash lineup. So if I think it's optimal to play one lineup, I'm, I'm going to do so. But uh, again, if I play these other slates, these players that don't make it into my main lineup are optimal in my other lineup. So it's just another way for diversification. And, and there's uh, there's lots of other strategy and, and hedging aspects that we'll get to, but that's just kind of my initial approach to how and why I'm playing these games. Yeah, I think that's a great point. There's There are just so many plays in a given week, and sometimes you can't get to all of them in your main lineups. But for these small slates, there's, there's, usually, there's usually only two or three games. And if you have a good read on these games, you can have a major edge because a lot of people, when they play these small slates, what they're doing is they're just maxing out their lineup by playing as much salary um, as possible and a lot of times you can you can do that without even maxing out the cap so people just play mm-hmm. essentially the, the nine highest salary players and maybe they'll diversify a little bit by changing up a few a few things like maybe changing up a few receiver stacks or something like that but there's very concentrated ownership and a lot of times it doesn't really make sense like no matter what the wide receiver matchups are in it in a given game people a lot of times would just automatically play that most expensive receiver or that number one receiver where that's not always the best play in fact I did some research and found that if you look at the a team's number one receiver and I define that as the the wide receiver that four for four had projected for the most points in a given week and over a four-year period from 2013 to 16 if you look at number one wide receivers those wide receivers only lead their team's receivers in fantasy points 48 percent of the time so 52 percent of the time this is using DraftKings scoring I'm sure it's pretty similar on FanDuel but I did it for DraftKings um and so what that means is over half the time or roughly half the time a wide receiver or a receiver I, I, I included tight ends in this so roughly half the time either a team's second or third wide receiver or their tight end is going to actually lead them in fantasy points and 
that's usually not how the ownership shakes out. There's usually just pretty much all of the top number one wide receivers. There's usually at least four if there's a, if there's a two game slate or maybe six if there's a three game slate. But pretty much all of those guys usually get you know fifty, sixty, seventy, sometimes even eighty, ninety percent ownership and you can gain a lot just by fading a couple of number one wide receivers and picking the wide receivers that that you think have the best matchups because even in a four game slate the odds are that that there's going to be two teams that are not led in receiving by their their top wide out so that's one of the ways I like to really get an edge in those small slates on on a large slate that edge really isn't as big because everyone's for the most part rostering number one wide receivers of course there's a few teams where you roster number two wide receivers like the Patriots, the Packers and such, but there's just not as much of an edge. But in these small slates, there's a, there's a huge edge to just fading wide receivers and, and just fading uh, players, period. There's, there can be highly concentrated ownership, especially, you know, not just on receivers, but on these, the, the positions that you only start one player. So for example, in the, in a lot of the Thursday to Sunday AM slates I played last week, that was the one with the Rams and the 49ers and then the Jaguars and the Ravens. A lot of people just really didn't know what to do with that slate. So they, Ben Watson was owned about 90% at tight end on DraftKings and all of the, the contests I was in. And of course, Mark, he caught, Watson caught a touchdown, but it was Mercedes Lewis who was the guy to own. He scored three touchdowns. Now on a full slate, you'd never play Mercedes Lewis, but when you're on a slate with only four tight ends and, and one of them is George Kittle and another one is Tyler Higby, you're going to, you're going to find your way to some Mercedes Lewis if you're doing, if you're doing it right. Um, and, and that, that can just, just one little play like that, even if some of your other players in your lineup don't hit, uh, can, can, can provide a major advantage. Same thing for, I think Brian, Brian Hoyer was under 10% on a slate with only four quarterbacks and he ended up scoring 30, 30 or so DraftKings points. So just situations like that tend to happen almost every week where ownership is just way too concentrated and you can get a big edge just by kind of accounting for different scenarios that you think of ha- think are going to happen and getting a, a good uh, read on the game yeah what, what you explained just now is uh kind of ties back to what you introduced the short slates with in that not only are people not preparing lineups for these slates, but they're just not uh, mentally prepared or haven't done the homework on them to exploit these really unique ownership tendencies that you just don't see if you play full slates. And and basically what what I wrote down was attacking the onesies. And you mentioned that if we look at these positions, tight end, defense, quarterback, on a normal slate, those positions tend to have uh, very flat ownership because one one play isn't necessarily that much better than the other play either because quarterback's very predictable predictable or because tight end and defense are uh, are very volatile so people just spread that no player ends up very high owned but on these short slates where there's only four games you'll find a tight end or a quarterback that uh, is only owned a third of of the other players and that's just a huge leverage opportunity but at the same time people mess that up at the other positions because you see players like a, you see positions like a running back where uh, they might be on 70 75% and then people think it's a good idea to maybe do a full fade of that player but just that's just not the case and and I, that's a carryover from uh, the full slate thinking I mean the the classic example I think it was a Thanksgiving slate last year uh, Zeke was like 70% owned and it was just such an obvious spot and you I mean 
I had a hundred percent of him and, and he just goes off and there's just no way to fade him on that super short slate. But people just have that uh, ingrained thought of the full slate thinking and it just uh, makes it a, a more profitable spot. Exactly. That's, that's great, great points there. And to add to that, I think another area where people aren't really thinking about it fully is, is stacking because on the full slate, we, we, we tend to do these stacks just because there's so many players that we're picking from that. Hey, if we can get maybe a couple of outcomes right by, by, by pairing players and, st- you know, instead of having to essentially predict nine separate outcomes correctly, um, we, we, we like to do that. But on these short slates, you're essentially going to be stacking no matter what, because there's usually only four to six teams, uh, unless you're talking about the 1 p.m. only slate, which is a lot uh, bigger. Um, that's probably my least favorite short slate because I think people, to some extent, do prepare for that one a little more um, just because it is the, the 1 o'clock slate and you can kind of prepare for it like somewhat like the main slate. But on, on these smaller slates where it's two or three games, you're going you're gonna to have to stack and you can kind of really play out the scenarios that you think are going to occur in your head and you can start to kind of cover all your, your bases. You know, they, I think, I know, I think DraftKings usually has a 20 max entry tournament for small slates where you, you get 20 entries and the entry fee is only like somewhere in three to five dollars. And the, the first place prize is pretty good. And you can, you can enter 20 different lineups for, for not, for not too much, uh, of your bankroll and kind of account for, for all the different scenarios and, and quote unquote cover your basis to some extent, which I think people sometimes try to do in, in main slate games. And it's, it's a real much more risky strategy. Cause if you're off on just one thing, if you're trying to cover your bases, assuming one thing is going to happen and it doesn't, it really could throw all your lineups off. But on a small slate, if you're, if you're right about a certain scenario and then you're building lineups about around that, um, there's just a lot more leverage to be had to where if you can say, okay, well, Hey, I'm, I'm going to fade like these two number one wide receivers in all my lineups. And then I'm going to account for these different scenarios that I think could happen. You know, if these, if these, if that fade is correct or something like that. And you just, there's just a lot greater odds of you, uh, essentially hitting on those lineups. And, and that's an, another thing. I think tournaments are, are probably better to play on small slates because you're still going to get, especially with two game and even with three game, you're still going to get a lot of variance in terms of cash games. And although I think people aren't playing cash games very smartly either. So there's certainly some ways to profit there, but I think it really lends itself well to tournaments just because of, like you said, TJ, a lot of concentrated ownership and people not really thinking out their stacks and not, not really thinking out their wide receiver plays, just kind of playing the top ones in each game. Yeah, and you mentioned it briefly uh, before we started talking about the the game stacks, but another thing that allows you to do is exploit another level of roster construction that people aren't paying attention to, and that's the the salary difference. I mean, if you are going to fade, say, two of those number one receivers, sometimes you'll leave like $1,500 salary on the table, and people just see that number like you talked about up top and, and just kind of freak out and think they need to fill it. But in these short slates, it doesn't matter. You can leave a ton of salary on the table and it's, it's actually kind of normal uh, among people that are uh, playing these slates regularly. And then what this is kind of a, a next level concept, but if you're playing high volume, you can, those lineups become a natural hedge. And even if they aren't a natural hedge, you can start using them as a hedge. And uh, I mean, the, the analogy that I use is somebody that's sports betting and playing parlays. If they have, say, if, if they're going to win their parlay, if their Monday night team hits, then uh, they're going to bet the other team to kind of lock in that profit. And you can use basically that same strategy. If you're, say, top or near the top of a, of a GPP and you have, 
a receiver left in a, a Sunday night game, you can either play other receivers or just play like a full game stack so things don't go in the situation that's going to benefit that lineup, you can still lock in a profit on the other side of it if it doesn't go as you expected. So I, I think that uh, people that are playing the short slates regularly are getting that advantage, but people that aren't paying attention to them probably aren't even thinking about that as a way to uh, hedge for those those profits. And I should say that that scenario is one that I bring up specifically because it is a hedge. It's not something where I think you should be like, you should be chasing your losses or if you're having a bad game, you try to quote unquote hedge and, and uh, make some money back. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about that specific analogy, like the sports bet parlay. And uh, that obviously is a, just a very profitable way to continue making money and locking in money. Definitely. That's a great point. That's, that's a really great point because you can kind of play around with things. And, and if you're doing it smartly, I, I think it's not chasing points as much as it's just being smart about things. If you know maybe a certain player can hurt you and you're kind of on the fence about him, but you don't, but you faded him in, in your main lineups, you can always kind of account for a scenario in which that player hits in some of the shorter slate lineups and, and hedge to some extent and still win big if you, if you do it right on the short slates or, or the main slate. And another thing that I want to talk about with these short slates that especially the ones, the Monday, well, the Monday to Thursday, the Thursday to Sunday AM when there's a London game and the Sunday Monday slates in particular, what they allow you to do is they give you a whole, at least a day or sometimes a few days if it's the Thursdays uh, to late swap. And that is really important in these tournaments because what you can do, and I don't think most people or most casual players aren't doing this that enter these tournaments, is you can see what transpired after the the first game of the small slate and look at your lineups and see, okay, well, in certain lineups, maybe you have a couple of players that didn't do so well in that first game. And what you can do with those lineups is make them a little more contrarian because you know you're going to have to, in order to give them a chance to win, you're going to have to jump a large percentage of the field. So then it becomes just a game of kind of, you're playing totally different with those lineups. You're trying to not necessarily pick just the, the, the highest scoring projected players you're trying to pick the highest leverage players um and 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 that that was something that actually happened to me on the thursday and some of my thursday lineups because i had a cooper cup in in a few lineups and he i I don't don't think he caught one or two passes so you know i'm looking at my lineups with cup in them and i'm saying okay well i need to really kind of give myself a an, uh, an avenue for these lineups to cash because I didn't I didn't think they were going to do so hot and so that allowed me to pivot to even more uh, Blake Bortles and uh, Mercedes Lewis than I already had because I figured you know Ben Watson was going to be the chalk tight end and you know Goff was already I think sixty percent owned and Hoyer another ten so that there's only thirty percent left of quarterbacks and I figured most of that would go to to Flacco anyway so you know things like that you can kind of just and those a lot of those lineups ended up being you know just as good as some of my lineups that that started out with with borders or that had the golf stacks or whatever so you can you can kind of almost back into to certain plays and and, and and diversify if you're using that late swap feature and you can you can i think the week before i had a situation no in week one there's a situation where i was in i think maybe sixth place or or, or tenth place or something and I, I had like two or three players left and i there was a chance for me to, to take first, but I had to make a couple of swaps and I could kind of reverse engineer the lineups ahead of me and see who they had and who I needed to pivot to. I think I only ended up finishing fifth or sixth, but without those pivots, I think I would have finished even lower. Um, so 
they, because you have a whole day or multiple days to do this and most people aren't doing it, it's a huge advantage because you can, you can literally take as much time as you want almost in, in, in crafting these late swaps and that, that, that'll give you a, a major edge. And you can also do things like if you, you can create some lineups where you fade essentially most of the first game on these Thursday to Monday or, or Sunday night, Monday night, because I think a lot of people who play these small slates, they want to get action on the game that's happening right away. So you'll see a disproportionate ownership to the first game of those slates that, that take place over multiple days. Like usually see more players in the Thursday game than in the London game. I don't know if that'll be the case this week with the Saints and Dolphins, but you'll still see more ownership than you should. It's kind of similar to the Thursday main slate uh, with, where you'll see more ownership than you normally would on Thursday players, regardless of how good they are. So if it's two bad teams, you'll still see maybe players getting seven, eight, nine percent ownership when there's probably should be getting like one or two percent. Um, it's the same thing on these short slates where the first game, uh, team players and teams are getting disproportionate ownership. So you can kind of make one fading all those guys, see how, see what happens after that first game and then you have a bunch of options to kind of create lineups using that late swap to kind of take advantage of the different scenarios or knowing that like half of the field already ha- has a lot a lot decided and you don't so um you, a lot of different game theory aspects you can use on these short slates to profit that are a lot more difficult to use on the main slate yeah i'm glad you brought up that overnight late swap feature because uh it's something that used to obviously be very prevalent when full slates used to go all the way through Monday. And we still get a chance to do it because there's a gap between the uh, 1 p.m. games and the night game. But uh, 1 p.m. I'm on the West Coast, the proper West Coast. so I'm not talking about the morning games. Uh, but sometimes that is maybe you only have 45 minutes, 30 minutes if, if those afternoon games run late. You have a whole night to digest this stuff. Then uh, you you don't even have to just look at those obvious spots. You can look at every single head-to-head and just throw Hail Marys if you have 0% chance, you have time to reverse engineer uh, those teams. And then one final point that I... It's it's kind of anecdotal looking at these short slates, but seemingly these holiday short slates like Thanksgiving, Christmas, when there's only a few games, there's a few bigger tournaments than there usually will be on a short slate. And probably you're going to get more casual players because Thanksgiving morning, everyone's just kind of sitting around with nothing to do on Wednesday and Thursday and uh, filling up these big tournaments. And that's obviously a, a more profitable situation. You're getting uh, more dead money in there. And speaking of that dead money, you mentioned like the games that start on Thursday. I tweet it out almost every week kind of as, as a joke uh, reminder to play Thursday slates because there's inevitably going to be a handful of teams that only have players from that game and even on those short slates that's just not a good thing to do and even if it's only five lineups in a 2,000 person contest if I can start automatically ahead of five lineups like why not so it's it's a really good point there too. Yeah, definitely. Those are all great points. Let's wrap it up with some bold calls. TJ, who you got for a player bold call this week? Yeah, you mentioned uh, Cincinnati this week against Cleveland. I I think that they could actually win pretty big, especially if they get a couple turnovers. And because of that, I think we could see Joe Mixon uh, 
become a, a top three fantasy running back, at least for this week. Once Bill Lazor came in last week, they expected to see a little bit of a difference in their offense, and, and they did. Mixon saw 62% of the backfield touches last week. So uh, a huge share going his way. It looks like they want to get him really involved, and uh, I think Cleveland could have put up a, a pretty nice number on – I think Cincinnati could put up a nice number on Cleveland this week. Love it. For my player bold call, I'm going to go way off the map, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but Jordan Matthews, really an afterthought in this Bills passing game to date. My bold call is Jordan Matthews has a 10-catch game this week. Uh, I think he benefits the most from this increased volume. Uh, 11 targets through three games. I think that's due for some natural regression as is. And Matthews winds up in the slot and Atlanta Falcons slot cornerback Brian Poole, solid cornerback, but third most targeted corner in the league, uh, been targeted 28 times through three games. That's over nine per game. So I think Jordan Matthews can rack up a lot of uh, high percentage looks this week in what should probably be an, an, an elevated amount of passing attempts for Tyrod Taylor. TJ, who you got for the uh, a game, a, a bold call for a game? Yeah, I mentioned with Larry Fitzgerald that this whole Arizona team's kind of due for some touchdown regression, at least through the passing game. Uh, Arizona's only implied for, not only, but they're implied for just over 25 points this week. I think Arizona drops a 40-burger on San Francisco this week. Uh, With the regression I talked about, San Francisco ranks 14th in fantasy points per game allowed to quarterbacks, but if you break it down uh, just passing on a per-attempt level, they've actually given up the fourth-most fantasy points per pass attempt. So I think we see uh, that regression, that short early season regression come into play pretty quickly, and I I like Arizona to maybe uh, lead all teams in, in points this week. Mm, I like that one. That's that. If that happens, that'll be that. That that would be a good tip because I don't think uh, mm-hmm. outside of Larry, I don't think they're gonna get pretty much any ownership there. Mm-hmm. Um, for my bold call for a game, I'm gonna go with the New York Jets getting their second straight win, holding an opponent to single digit points. I think the Jaguars are gonna go from that 44 point outing in London to score. I think I, don't, I think they're gonna score under 10 this week. Uh, they're in a prime letdown spot. They still without Allen Robinson and the Jets. And I talked about this in my Raybonds review column for this week where I kind of look back at what we learned from from each week both in the winning lineups for 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 the large field GPPs and just generally in terms of what happened on the field and I think early in the season you're going to see certain teams start improving you know teams in week one and week two you know that's not necessarily who they are who they're going to become Mm -hmm. and I think he saw that with the Jets defense a little bit in week three where they they really started to improve and they're they're two rookie safeties uh particularly Jamal Adams uh, played a really good game and you know this Jaguars offense uh, you know I watched that whole game in London and it, just everything that could possibly go right for them did and they called a brilliant game to open the game they used they used their tight ends after they hadn't I don't think the tight ends had a catch in the first two games or maybe maybe one or two catches that's it in the first couple of games and then they 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 attacked Baltimore's weakness which was against the tight end you know so they essentially just caught Baltimore off guard in, in so many areas and I think Going from there into New York, 
I th- the Jets are staying home for their second straight game. I think they can replicate this this defensive performance against a, a one-dimensional uh, Jacksonville team. Fournette will probably get a touchdown, but I think the Jets could win 13-7 or something like that. So I'm going with that as my bold call. Reminder that if you rate and review DFS MVP, you can get 25% off a 4-for-4 four four DFS subscription if you send the rate and review screenshot to DFS MVP at four for four dot com follow tj hernandez on twitter he's at tj hernandez and you can follow me on twitter at chris raybon thank you guys for listening tj any last words just like jeezy's album's name let's get it money motivation let's get this money Gotta watch every move, cause the minds be on ya. Gotta try real cool when them pies be on ya. Just cause we stack paper and we ball outrageous. Them alphabet boys got us under surveillance. Like animals, they lock us in cages. The same that's a star when you put them on stages. I ain't cheap, played the hand I dealt. Try to tax a grand pearl, I went and got them myself. Let's get it. No nuts, no glory. My body, damn right, the true story. The city on fire, and I didn't even try. Run the streets all day, I could sleep when I die.